It is good to see you all uh, this morning. Uh, it's refreshing for me. Uh, it's been a long week, uh, as uh, was mentioned earlier. Loretta Jenkins, uh, she fell asleep in death uh, this past Tuesday. And uh, I use sleep as a euphemism for death, basically a nice way to put death, uh, because that's what the Bible uses as a euphemism for death, as it talks about constantly those who are dead. It just merely states that they are sleeping. And that's exactly what Loretta is doing now. She is uh, resting in the grave. That's why uh, we, we use uh, the term rest, rest in peace. Uh, she is resting in peace now. And we put our hope in the resurrection uh, that although she is resting in the grave right now, one day Jesus is going to come back to establish his Father's kingdom. And when he comes back, he's going to resur- or God's going to resurrect those who are asleep in Christ. And that's what we put our hope in, just as Loretta did, and, and will be resurrected when uh, Jesus comes back. Uh, but I wanted to visit Loretta uh, this past, uh, well, I guess it was Thursday through Saturday of last week. And she was getting better uh, each and every day. And I was just thinking to myself, when is she going to get out of here? You know, when is she uh, going to get back to church? And then uh, Monday and Tuesday, uh, she just declined uh, very rapidly. And it took me uh, by surprise. And I'm still in shock a bit. Um, but thankfully, she didn't have to uh, suffer for long as she did decline. Uh, so fast. Uh, But we had a good service for her. John did a marvelous job yesterday morning, and we had a luncheon yesterday in memory of her. And she'll be greatly missed. And I I got to, I had the opportunity and the privilege to grow close to Loretta uh, this past uh, year, uh, serving here as a pastor, as she was a very consistent and a very loyal member of this church. And she was also a very consistent and loyal member of our Tuesday morning ladies' Bible study, uh, as Week in and week out, I, I do cherish uh, my time with my ladies on Tuesday mornings. Um, and uh, yeah, my ladies, yes, that's right. And one thing that stuck out to me about uh, Loretta uh, was that she truly had a servant's heart. Uh, of all the, the positive uh, characteristics and qualities that she displayed, the, the one that stuck out to me most was that she had a servant's heart. And if there was something to be done, she could be called upon because she would be there. And so Loretta is a great example that we can all learn from in having a servant's heart. But, but there is one ultimate example. There's one ultimate person we can love in having a, a servant's heart and serving one another. As that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning, uh, kind of in memory of Loretta. And, and that ultimate example, I'm sure you guys have guessed, is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of one who was a servant and who had a servant's heart. Now that can seem maybe a bit contrary because a couple weeks ago when, when we did our series all about Jesus, we talked about how Jesus Jesus was the king of the world and how God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. And yet that same person, that same king, not just of the Jews, but that same king of the whole world had a phenomenal servant's heart. And he came to serve and not to be served. And so this morning as we talk about uh, being a servant and and serving one another, uh, we're going to open up to our Bibles in John chapter 13. Probably a story that uh, many of us are familiar with, but in my eyes, this is the ultimate example of the ultimate servant uh, displaying uh, his servant's heart uh, that he had. And again, that ultimate uh, servant uh, who who no one has has come close to is Jesus himself. And so if you have your Bibles, you're going to open up to John chapter 13. 
We're actually going through the book of John in our Sunday school class, and we just covered this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but John chapter 13, we'll, we'll be starting in verse 1 as we talk about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So in verse 1 of uh, John chapter 13, it reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, that, so that, that's a bit of a mouthful. So here we see in, in verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover... Now, there's uh, a bit of discussion uh, between scholars when exactly uh, this Last Supper. Chapter 13 is known as the Last Supper, you know, the last meal that Jesus had uh, with his disciples. We talk about often come communion time as uh, that's when Jesus took the bread and the cup, and he says the bread represents my body and this cup represents my blood being poured out for you. There's discussion as to when this Last Supper took place. According to the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it seems to kind of indicate that this uh, last supper, this last meal uh, that Jesus had with, with his disciples took place on the Passover. But here in John, it seems to indicate uh, that it was, a, as it mentions, uh, before the feast of the Passover. But at the very least, this last supper that Jesus and his dis- disciples were, were uh, partaking together took place around the time of the Passover. And the Passover was the single most important celebration for the Jews. As if we remember, the Passover is a celebration of the greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament. When in the Old Testament, uh, Moses was leading the Israelites away from the hand of the Egyptians, and uh, God was uh, delivering the ten plagues to Pharaoh and the Egyptians to get Pharaoh to uh, let the Israelites go, God sent the tenth and final plague, and that final plague was to have all of the firstborn sons killed. And now that would have been a, a, a big issue there. But God told the Israelites, God told the Jews, that if you spread the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, then God would literally pass over your household. And that's why we call this celebration the Passover meal. And Jews to this day still celebrate the Passover. So around the time of the Passover, Jesus and his disciples, uh, they, they were celebrating the, this last supper, this last dinner uh, that they could have together. For it says that Jesus knew his eyes hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. In other words, Jesus knew that he was about to die. Jesus knew that he was about to be crucified and that he would uh, be resurrected on the third day and then he would spend some time here on earth, about 40 days here on earth, uh, ministering to people. But after those 40 days, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, the 40 days on earth, Jesus would ascend into heaven at the right hand of God. God Here God sitting on, on, on the throne and Jesus is at his right hand. Or I guess to you this would be your right hand. I, I, I try to think about that. As, uh, I'm, I'm a mirror, basically, to you guys. And so Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, he knew that it, his time had come soon for him to depart out of this world to the Father. And so that kind of helps us set the scene of what's to take place as it's around the time of the Passover and the, the most important celebration for the Jews. Jesus himself was a Jew along with his uh, disciples, uh, many of them. And uh, so we continue in verse 2, and it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he, began, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
So here we see in, in verse 3, we, we see another reminder again. Uh, it says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. There we see another reminder that God truly has given all authority over uh, to Jesus. But then he goes in, in, in to continue in saying that dinner has already begun. Supper has already begun, as it says in verse 2, during supper. So this isn't really at the beginning of supper. This isn't when they're getting ready to sit down at the table and partake in the food. This seems to indicate that that it was during supper, it was during their dinner, it was during when they were eating. And during while they were eating, I'm sure they were all having a, a marvelous discussion. I'm sure it was very deep and very good as it was Jesus last night um, here on earth before he was to be crucified. And uh, in middle of that meal, in middle of that important supper uh, that Jesus had with his, his disciples, he got down on, on his hands and knees and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, how many people think feet are gross? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of us think feet are gross. Feet are pretty gross, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Uh, a lot of people's feet, pretty much everybody's feet, is, is kind of gross. And here we, today, we have proper foot attire. Here I am wearing nice handy-dandy shoes, a lot of us wearing nice uh, shoes with us, dress shoes, whatever it may be. Uh, we have proper foot attire. Uh, we, we have more regular washings. We have nice showers. Um, I hope you guys have taken a shower in, in this decade. Um, if not... Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, that we also have paved roads um, that can kind of restrict a bit of the dirt getting onto our shoes a bit if we were to stay on the roads and the sidewalks and such. Well, back 2,000 years ago, they, they did have sandals, but not proper foot attire like this. They, they did uh, have washings. They would bathe themselves, but not like the showers that we have today. And they did have s some sort of uh, path to follow, but not like the paved roads that we have. So here we think our feet are disgusting. Imagine 2,000 years ago without proper foot attire in our standards, without regular washings or as good washings in our standards than without uh, the nice roads that we have. Imagine how disgusting the disciples' feet would have been. Now, they had a standard back in, in their time, back around when Jesus was alive. They had a standard uh, that if a host was to invite people over to their house, they would provide water for the guests to wash their feet, because I'm sure they didn't want their nasty guest feet walking in all over their house. Or if they were well off, if they were rich, then they would have a servant to wash uh, everybody's feet. But here we see that Jesus was the servant. Jesus was the servant. I mean, washing the feet had to be one of the lowest jobs that, that there was to wash someone's feet. It, it, it's humiliating to be able to have to wash someone else's feet. But here Jesus, king of the world, savior of the world, the Christ, the chosen one of God, the one whom God has given all authority over to. Here Jesus in the middle of his last supper with his disciples he chose to get down on his knees and, to, and begin to wash his disciples' feet. That is one marvelous example of a servant. And so we continue in verse 6, and he says, He came to Simon Peter, who Simon Peter was arguably Jesus' closest disciples. And so he, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So here Jesus comes across Peter as he's beginning to wash his other disciples' feet. He comes across uh, to Peter, and, and Peter's like, Jesus, are you serious, man? You, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus is like, yeah, you, you don't really quite understand what I'm doing now. And, and Simon Peter goes, there is no way in the world that I'm going to have you, my king, my master, and my Lord, wash my feet. I mean, uh, we, we just talked about in our Sunday school class today, poor Peter, as Peter gets a lot of grief for, for many of his choices and, and, and the words that he chooses to say. Um, but here, I think I would say those exact same words as Peter, as Peter's saying, Jesus, you're my master, you're my teacher, you're my Lord, you're my king, you're my savior, you're the last person who should have to wash my feet. But Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And I love Peter's response. And he says, then not only my feet, but, but, my, but my hands and my head as well. But Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. For Judas Iscariot uh, was just about to uh, betray Jesus. But here Jesus uh, beginning uh, going around washing his disciples' feet. And he's even getting a little retaliation from some of his disciples, even his closest disciples. So not only did Jesus insist to wash their feet, but he insisted to wash their feet when they retaliated. When they say, no way in the world, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? And not just any kind of feet, but nasty feet. As they didn't have the proper foot attire that we have, they don't have uh, the, the nice showers that we have or the paved roads that we have today. And so those were nasty feet that Jesus chose to wash in the middle of his last supper with his disciples. I mean, I, I can only imagine how heartfelt and how emotional this time would have been for Jesus and his disciples as Jesus knew his time was coming that he was to die for the sins of the world. And what did Jesus to, choose to do with his last moments? I mean, a lot of us uh, think about what would I do if I knew I were to die tomorrow? I'm not sure any of us would choose to wash people's feet on our last day. I know I wouldn't. But here Jesus chose, in his last moments, he chose to wash his disciples' feet. I don't think there is any better example of a servant than here found in John chapter 13. In Jesus' last moments, he chose to wash his disciples' feet. And so it continues in verse 12, and it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here Jesus, after he washes disciples' feet, he, he takes this moment, he takes this teaching moment uh, to talk to his disciples and describe what he, what he has done as he has washed his disciples' feet. And, and that uh, would have been uh, quite the occasion to see, to see the king of the world washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus says, you call me Lord, you call me teacher, and, and you are right, for, for such I am. And Jesus says, if I then... If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So here Jesus is talking to his closest disciples, his closest people on earth, at least his, his closest uh, uh, male followers, his closest people, he said, I've given you an example to follow. So here Jesus, when he washed his disciples' feet, those closest to him, he wanted his disciples to take after him. He wanted his disciples to follow his lead, to follow his example. And what was his, his example? His example was serving those close to him. Again, I, I don't think there's any better example Really, throughout all of the history of mankind, I don't think there's a single better example than the servant that Jesus was here in chapter 13 in his last moments. And what a marvelous example that Jesus has given us. Jesus served and he washed his disciples' feet. He served his fellow believers. He served those who believed that, God, that Yahweh is God. He served those who were to, who, he served the people who were to become the church. Jesus served the church. For we're to serve one another. And that's an example that we can learn from Jesus. Jesus served his fellow Christians, his fellow people who sought after God. Jesus served them. And we need to take after that example. We need to serve those close to us, we need to serve those who are fellow believers like us. We need to serve those who are within our church. Take a look around this church. These are the people whom you are to serve. That's the exact example that Jesus gave to us to serve those who have a similar faith and a similar belief that you do. Here we, we as Christians, we as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called, we have been given an example to serve one another. When one of us are in need, it's our duty, it's our responsibility as a fellow brother or sister in Christ, it's our responsibility to serve them. That's the example that Jesus gave to us. But now we're not only called to serve those uh, within the church. One day when I went to uh, go visit uh, Loretta in the hospital, I, I encountered a man uh, who was in pretty rough shape uh, standing outside the hospital asking uh, for some money uh, for a meal. And uh, it wasn't much, but I, but I gave the man uh, $5 because across the street there was a Wendy's. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Wendy's, but they have the four for four. I, I love the four for four. I'm all about value. That, if that's not value, I don't know what value is. And, and so I gave him some money so that he could get, go get a four for four at Wendy's. And as I handed him this money to, to get him a meal, exactly what he, he asked, he said something along the lines of, is that it? And I was appalled. I was appalled that out of the generosity of my heart, I was giving this man some money, and he said something along the lines of, is that it? He was wanting more money. And I said, sir, there, there's a Wendy's across the street. There, there's a great four-for-four four deal. You, you can get more than a meal at Wendy's. And he was not grateful one bit. And let me tell you, that got on my nerves. That, that really got on my nerves, and, and, and I was mad. I, I was upset. I was upset that he was, didn't even show a bit of gratefulness towards me. And because of that, I kind of regretted giving him the $5 because of how ungrateful he was. I was thinking, he doesn't deserve this. 
He doesn't deserve someone coming out of the generosity to serve them. He doesn't deserve it. And I, I oh man, that, that really got on my nerves. It's getting on my nerves a bit talking about it. I need, I need to calm myself. But as, as I was walking in the hospital and going up the elevator, it, it, it clicked. It hit me all of a sudden. And I no longer was uh, upset, or I try not to be upset uh, with this man anymore because of a certain passage that came to mind. And that certain passage that came to my mind is found in Matthew chapter 25. So just a couple of books uh, beforehand, Matthew chapter 25. It, it hit me all of a sudden, uh, probably God speaking to me in my foolishness um, and my ill-tempered mess. It hit me all of a sudden, uh, as, as I recalled in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. It reads, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here uh, it's kind of an image talking about when Jesus to come back to this earth after he was ascended into heaven. Here Jesus coming back to earth. He's exerting his authority as the king and the judge of the world. And, and they, they use uh, the, the two different images of the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And he separates them, and he says to those on his right, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he told those to his right, the people who represented the sheep, he told those, Come, inherit the kingdom. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that Loretta had, uh, the, the hope that we have in the kingdom, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. Uh, there, there's no other words you'd rather want to hear than Jesus himself saying, uh, you have inherited the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And Jesus continues, says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here Jesus says, he's talking to the people on the right, you have inherited the kingdom because you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me a drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You, you came to visit me when I was sick and came to visit me when I was in prison. You welcomed me when I was a stranger. And the righteous are going, Lord Jesus, we never saw you hungry. And we never saw you thirsty, and we certainly didn't clothe you, and we, and we didn't come to visit you in prison. We, we, we didn't come to visit you when you were sick, and, and you were never a stranger for us to welcome. They said, so we didn't do any of this. And Jesus responds to them by saying, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done for me. Wow, those are strong words. Those are the same words that, that struck me. Uh, just a couple moments after I was really bitter and angry with that man, 
Those same words convicted me, made me feel like a piece of junk. And it convicted me as whatever we do for the least of these, we are doing it for Jesus himself. And those are words that a lot of us need to hear at times, a reminder that we need to hear at times. Whenever we give one of the least of these some food, whenever we give someone who is thirsty a drink, whenever we welcome a stranger, whenever we close someone who's in need, or visit someone when they're sick, or visit them when they're in prison, we're not doing it for them. Although in our feeble-mindedness, we think we're doing it for them. In my feeble-mindedness, I thought I was giving this man $5 for himself. I thought I was doing it for him. But Jesus informs me that I was doing it for him. I was doing it for the king of the world. I was doing it for the Lord. I was doing it for my Savior. For Jesus said, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you do it for me. What strong words. And and, and this is so important to know because whenever you serve one of the least of these, they're they're in their position that they are in for a reason. A lot of times it's because of of the, the poor hand that they've been dealt, but a lot of times the least of these are in the position that they're in because of their own foolish decisions or their foolish character, their poor character. And oftentimes when someone has a poor character, they aren't going to be grateful for your gracious acts. And when someone isn't grateful, if you're like me, that, that, that may make you resent giving them the food or the drink or the clothes or visiting them in prison or, or in the hospital. That may make you resent, just as I did. But we need to remember these words here in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus says, let me quote it exactly, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. We must be reminded that ultimately we aren't doing it for the people that we're serving, but ultimately we're doing it for Jesus himself, the same man who died on the cross for the likes of you and me. And so please don't let someone's poor reaction deter you from serving one of the least of these. Focus on the fact that you are doing it for Jesus. So when, when, when we're talking about serving and having a servant's heart, these are the two passages uh, that, that come to mind first. And, there, and there's kind of two applications that we can take from this. One is we need to serve one another. These people here sitting with you, the the people sitting in the other churches, the people with the same faith that we have, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christ himself has given us an example to serve one another, to serve your fellow brother and sister in Christ, just as Jesus did when he washed his disciples' feet in his last night, when he could have done so much, there, there were so many opportunities Jesus could have done in his last night, but he chose to display that he was a servant. For Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And I don't think there's any better example than in John 13 of a phenomenal servant. And, we need, and Christ called us to follow his example and to serve one another. We need to serve one another in the church. We need to serve 
the church. We are the church, and we need to serve the church. We're constantly looking for volunteers and people to help with junior church. We're constantly looking for people to help with a Sunday school, constantly looking for people to help with a cookie table, to, for greeters, to visit people in need in the hospital or in prison. We're constantly looking for people to serve in any and every way. And we have to step up. We have to step up to that call. We have to step up to that example that Jesus gave to us. For we have to serve the church. For we are the church. Loretta, over over this past year, Loretta has served the church more than a lot of us. And she was 80 and 81 years old. She put a lot of us to shame. And she was an awesome servant for the Lord. And we have to fill her spot. And, And there's many more opportunities that we need to fill and serve. We have to serve one another, and we have to serve the church. That's the call that we've had. That's the call that Jesus gave in his last night before he was crucified. He said, follow my example. He said, I I gave you an example, and you're to follow that example and do as I had done. So number one, serve one another and serve your church. Number two, serve the least of these. Serve the people who are in need. <laughs> not, not just the people within the church, but people outside of the church. Serve the least of these. Serve the person who is hungry and just wants a bite to eat. Serve the person who is thirsty and just wants a drink of water. Serve the person who is in prison and go visit them. Serve the person who is in the hospital and, and go visit them. Serve the person who is ill-clothed and, and provide them some clothes. Serve the person who is a stranger and welcome them. We're, we're called to serve the least of these. We are called to serve them. And please don't get in your mind that when you're serving them, you're serving it just for them. No, you're serving, ultimately, you're serving Jesus. You're doing it for Jesus Christ himself. And please don't let anybody's poor reaction, because I'm telling you, if you do go out and serve, there's going to be some people who aren't very grateful for what you have done. And please, 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 please do not Let their poor reactions deter you from serving. For again, it's not them that we're serving. It's Jesus himself that we're serving. The same man who bled and died on the cross for us. So serve one another and serve the least of these. And we can learn from the awesome example that Loretta gave us. But even more, we can learn from the awesome example that Jesus gave us. Let me tell you. If we follow Jesus' example in serving one another and serving the people of the world, great things are going to happen to you and for you. Great things will happen. Let's be a church that serves one another, and let's be a church that serves the least of these. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Father, thank you for the love and the care that you show uh, to each and every one of us. Father, thank you uh, for the little needs and the little desires uh, that you provide for each and every one of us. Father, I pray that uh, we, as fellow brothers and sisters of Christ, we, as your children, I pray that we can watch out for one another, that we can look out for one another, and that we can serve one another, just as your son did the last night before he was crucified. 
And Father, I pray that we as a church, we can be a church that serves the people of this world, that we can serve the people who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are in prison, who are, who are sick, who, who are strangers, and who need clothes. And Father, I just pray that we can be a church that opens people with welcome arms, and that we can be a church that serves one another and a church that serves the least of these. Father, I thank you for your love and care. I thank you for the example that you sent in your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.